Tonight, I'm going to talk about the archetypal feminine. And the reason I'm talking about it tonight is because Thursday, really Wednesday night and Thursday daytime, is a Celtic holiday, the Celtic holiday of Imbolc, or the feast of Bridget, the great goddess of Ireland. Bridget is kind of considered the, the spiritual mother of Ireland, the way that St. Patrick is the spiritual father. And if you think of the, the year as a big circle, which has a light half and a dark half, you could say uh, the upper half is archetypally masculine, the dark half is archetypally feminine, the very bottom of this circle is a kind of pole of the feminine, and that, that's how Imbolc is, is conceived, this pole at the middle of the dark time of the year. And so, before I begin, I'll just say, I'll be talking about the feminine and the masculine, the archetypal feminine, the archetypal masculine. Of course, I'm not trying to imply that all men need to be one way, all women need to be the other way, something like that. The way I would frame it is that the archetypal masculine and archetypal feminine are two wells of wisdom within all of us. And there's various ways that we can relate to these wells. I'll, I'll just say as a cisgendered straight male, I have found in my life that, that the archetypal masculine provides a kind of homecoming for me, a kind of deep confirmation of who I am. And I've, I've talked to other cisgendered males, both straight and gay, who have expressed similar things about, about really feeling a kind of homecoming or a kind of self-recognition in dropping more into the masculine. And I've also talked to some cisgendered females that, that have that kind of relationship to the inner feminine. So that is one possible way to relate to these energies. Um, but of course, you know, especially for people across the LGBTQ spectrum, there are a variety of ways to identify, but I think we all have these, these two wells of wisdom and part of our journey toward wholeness is learning to reckon with them somehow. A more superficial way to say the same thing is that the archetypal masculine and archetypal feminine are, as it were, two toolboxes. And, and as we grow in life, we, we learn to take tools from both toolboxes. Obviously, the more tools I have, the more easily I can move through various situations in the world. So what exactly is meant by the archetypal feminine? I'll start with China, with the yin-yang system, which is really, the, in the ancient world, the most elaborated thought system around the relation of masculine and feminine. Yin and yang is a, a truly ancient idea. We, we really don't know the origins of it. It was already well-established by the time of the writing of the Yijing, in 1300 BC. And so yin is the archetypal feminine, yang is the archetypal masculine. And a few things to say about it right away. First of all, the, the duality of yin and yang does not line up at all with the Western moral duality of good versus evil. It's not that one is good and the other is evil. In the in Chinese way of thinking, good 
is when yin and yang are in healthy relationship, when they're supporting each other, when they're complementing each other, when they're in balance, that's good. And evil is really when you have all of one trying to exclude the other, all of yang excluding yin, all of yin excluding yang. And I'll just say all of yang excluding yin, that actually is an excellent description of what toxic masculinity looks like. Anyway, another duality in the West is weak versus strong. And sometimes yin and yang are conceptualized. You know, yin is weak and yang is strong. And that's really a profound misunderstanding. Um, they are different, there are, but there are yin strengths and yang strengths. And one way to appreciate this is to think about the human body. The yang strengths of the human body are the strengths that allow us to put out a lot of force or a lot of energy. And so the ability to bench press, the ability to run a marathon, the ability to do aerobic activity, these are yang strengths. Muscular strength is a, is a kind of yang strength. Yin strengths are about the, the body's ability to receive, to accommodate. And so yin strengths would be things like flexibility, including the limberness and the, the flexibility of tendons and ligaments. Um, it would be things like liver health, kidney health, health of the digestive system, health of the immune system, you know. And when we compare these, we see immediately the yang strengths, yeah, the yang strengths make you look good at the beach, but they're very superficial in many ways. The yin strengths are what would guarantee health and vitality through old age. So the yin strengths are less eye-catching, but, but far more enduring in their impact. Another analogy to, to see a difference, you might say that yang strength would be like blasting rock with dynamite, okay? It's immediate, it's an undeniable effect. We, we immediately see the big change. That's yang strength. Yin strength is like water running over rock. In the moment, it looks like nothing is happening, you know? But over the course of millions of years, you get something like the Grand Canyon and all its magnificence, you know? And if you think about it, you wouldn't be able to dynamite your way to something like the Grand Canyon. Like, the only way you can get that is by letting yin strength play out over a long period. And this also says something very important about the relationship of masculine and feminine. The, the, the yang strengths, the archetypally masculine strengths, are typically things that act in the moment. They're, they're, they're immediate, they're undeniable effects in the moment. Whereas the yin strengths are incremental and they, they have more profound effects, but over time. Um, and right there, if you, you think about people's approach to personal growth, we see this incredible bias against the feminine. There, there are all kinds of biases against the feminine. But, you know, a lot of people want, you know, what's the quick fix? What's the magic bullet? What's the one thing I can do that will make an immediate change? You know, people are always looking for that one big change. Often New Year's resolutions fall into that category. They're looking for some kind of young strength. Whereas most personal growth 
tools, such as meditation, make use of yin strength, you know. With a meditation practice, if you start a practice, you know, you meditate, say, for a day or for a week, you're not going to see much of a change. But if you keep meditating over the course of 10 years, the changes are profound. Far, far more extensive than any change you could get from a magic bullet, you know. But it takes time to unfold. Now, the I Ching categorizes yin and yang. The I Ching calls yang the creative and yin the receptive. And again, just think about these two words and think about how they land in our culture. You know, creativity, creative, that sounds great. You know, the people who are creative, we value the people who are creative. Whereas receptive, that almost sounds like passive, like just the... the the passive people who are receiving, you know, the, the, the things that other people create. And, and again, I think this is a profound, that, you know, our modern culture sets us up for a profound misreading of the connotations in the ancient Chinese. Um, so a few things to say. First of all, the receptive, first of all, receptive does not mean passive. You know, if you think about, again, think about the digestive system or the immune system. These are not passive systems, you know. These are, in fact, incredibly intelligent, incredibly discerning systems. You know, the digestive system is incredibly discerning about exactly what it's going to assimilate, exactly what it's going to get rid of. You know, the immune system is very discerning about exactly what it's going to attack and what it's not going to attack. You know, and so part of part of healthy receiving is having good boundaries. Part of that's all part of being a very discerning, wise receiver. That's all part of the receptive. But really to, to frame the profound difference between them, I would say think about a moment when you're upset, when you're triggered, when you're emotionally raw, what do you want from another human being? You don't typically want someone who's in a young mode of, let me give you advice, let me brainstorm, let you know, all this sort of thing. What you typically want, first and foremost, is someone who can receive you, someone who can simply listen, someone who can be compassionate, you know, being received is what heals us. And there's this very deep way that being received is our primary need. When you think about it, you know, for six months of life, what what really guarantees healthy development for through the first six months of life is that the infant is being received in a in a very conscious and loving way. You know? And it's that that being received, being loved that allows the infant to get to a place where they feel confident to start exploring the world, you know. And really, for any point that we need healing, you know, any of our growth comes from being received, either receiving ourselves deeply or being received by someone deeply, you know. And so that is primary. And of course, once we're, once we're stronger, 
once once we've gone through some healing and, and we feel we can stand on our two feet, then we can engage with the creative. Then we can brainstorm and receive advice and stimulation and all that. But that's secondary, you know. What what the archetypal masculine offers us is secondary and what the archetypal feminine offers us is primary. That's very important. Now, one of the many ways that the, the Chinese represent this is when they talk about the, the yin and the yang, the creative and the receptive, they say that yang is on top and yin is below yang. And, and this, this whole upper and lower thing, again, you know, modern readers, especially with postmodern proclivities, would say, well, you know, that, that means the, the masculine is exploiting or repressing the feminine. Um, and there's no doubt that in the past 2,000 years that the masculine has exploited or impressed the feminine in, in a variety of ways. Um, but again, that's not the, the sense of the Chinese. The sense of the Chinese is that the yang, the yin is primary, so it's below it supports the yang and allows the yang to be what it is, you know. And the, the Chinese way of thinking about it is very organic. You know, think of a plant, for example. You know, any plant, we, we could say that the, the above ground part of the plant that we see, we could say that that's the, the archetypal masculine. The root, the rhizome, everything below the surface is the archetypal feminine. Now, we know with plants, you can damage the upper plant. You can even cut the upper plant down to the ground. As long as the root is healthy, the plant will grow right back, you know. But if the upper plant is healthy and you severely damage the root, the plant dies. The root is more primary, you know. And so that, that's another way to think about the relationship of archetypal masculine and archetypal feminine. Now, there's many aspects to receiving. Uh, one aspect of the archetypal feminine is, is not only receiving, but taking in and transforming. Um, if you think, for example, of a labyrinth, this ancient symbol of the goddess, a labyrinth is, is a sacred space and the, the, the pilgrim or the, the, the aspirant enters the labyrinth and theoretically is transformed in the labyrinth. The labyrinth is a kind of womb and the person is, as it were, reborn from that womb, you know. Similarly, in alchemy, the alchemical vase is another yonic symbol. You know, the, the substances are, are put inside, it's hermetically sealed and then a, a transformation takes place inside and something new is created. Another aspect of taking in, and this is, this is subtle, it has to do with a, a kind of loyalty, the kind of loyalty when someone takes in somebody else's energy deeply and the kind of fierce loyalty that, that develops from it. Um, you know, and it can be, it can really have a fierce energy. I mean, you know, think about what it would be to, you know, accidentally get between mama bear and her baby bears. That would not be a good place. You know, the feminine can be very fierce. Um, it's a kind of fierce loyalty to, to my own tribe, to, to the people I, 
I'm connected with and love most, you know? And it's very different from a more masculine, like, you know, all men are created equal, this more abstract, you know, and that's valuable also, that's valuable in another space, but it doesn't have the same juice as the kind of, you know, fierce loyalty to the people I know. Another aspect of taking in has to do with the, with the aesthetic, with taking in beauty and being touched by beauty, you know. Um, and it's a particular kind of receiving, a kind of receiving that is, as it were, arrested by beauty, that is stunned or awed by beauty. Um, and really, I think most artists again, the, the archetypal feminine is primary. Most artists are people who are moved by beauty, who take it in, and because they're so moved by it, then they start creating, you know. But being, being touched by it is something that precedes the creating. So another aspect of the feminine has to do with flow and flux. One way to think about this is if you think about the sun, the sun is el sol, you know, it's often represented as masculine in various cultures. And the sun is simply on, it's 100% on, you know, until it sets and then it's 100% off. So you have this very, you know, binary, 100% on, 100% off, which is in some ways typical of the archetypal masculine. The archetypal feminine, that's like the moon, La Luna, and of course the beauty of the moon is the way the moon is in flow, the way that it comes and goes. It's constantly in flux. Um, and if you just think about our culture, think about all the about all the expectations we have that we're always going to be on. You know, I'm always going to be happy. I'm always going to have my shit together. You know, I'm always going to be, you know, like this kind of thing. The expectation that we're always going to be on. And how, how there, in some ways, there's little room for the parts of us that are just naturally more tidal, that are naturally in flow, that are, that are strong some days and not so strong other days, you know? It's almost like we have to apologize for that rather than just allow it to be what it is. Another aspect of, of the feminine has to do with interconnection, about seeing the interconnection, um, seeing context, seeing larger patterns. To some extent, this is these are functions of the right hemisphere of the brain, as opposed to the archetypal masculine, which is very much about discrimination and distinction, about telling the difference between two closely related things. Um, another aspect of the archetypal masculine is compartmentalization, you know. Um, whereas the archetypal feminine is all about seeing the connection, the interconnection between various things. And I'll say of these two wells, they're both wells of wisdom, but the feminine well is ultimately the deeper well. The wisdom of the feminine is, is ultimately deeper than the wisdom of the masculine because the wisdom of the feminine goes down to surrender. 
and surrender is really this terrifying core idea in really all the major religions. In fact, the, the Arabic word for surrender is simply Islam. It's the name of the religion, you know. And a Muslim, technically, is one who surrenders to God. You know, the, the surrendering of Jesus on the cross, the surrendering of, of the, the illusion of ego in Buddhist enlightenment, you know, this kind of thing. You know, and similarly, flow and interconnection are also, you know, certainly according to Buddhism, these are primary realities. You know, the great Tao is all about flow. And our primary, our primary reality, according to Buddhism, is a reality of interconnection, you know. And that part of virtue is having the surrender, surrendering to the flow, surrendering to this interconnection. So I'll close by giving some quotes from the Tao Te Ching. The Tao Te Ching is, is a Taoist work. It's the first... The, sort of the foundational work of Taoism. And it also, Taoism, like Buddhism, has, has some profoundly feminine qualities. The first quote, The highest good is like water. Water easily benefits all things without struggle, yet it abides in lowly places that people avoid. Therefore, it is like the Tao. So again, embodying the feminine, you know, in flow and in this downward motion. Another quote, to the one who has the great symbol, the whole world comes, comes and receives no harm, finding instead tranquility and abundant life. You could say that this quote is in some ways the the earliest statement of, of what is in our time is known as the, the law of attraction. This idea that <coughs> when you hold the Tao, you draw all things toward you. So it's this, this deep kind of receiving. Another quote, nobility has lowness as its root. The high has low as its base. Is this not taking lowliness as the fundamental? In this way, you can bring about great effects without burden. So again, valorizing the base, you know. Another quote, the softest thing in the world will overcome the hardest. Non-being can enter where there is no space. Therefore, I know the benefits of unattached action, the wordless teaching and unattacked action are rarely seen. That is so true. The wordless teaching and unattached action are rarely seen. Another one. Now I've heard that those who are experts in handling life can travel the land without meeting tigers and rhinos, can enter battle without being wounded. The rhino has no place to plant its horns. The tiger has no place to place its claws. Weapons find no place to receive their sharp edges. Why? Because he has no, no place for death within him. And that is just a, a profound metaphor about receiving. Now, of course, uh, 
the Taoist claim, the literal claim that, you know, if I if I'm so so in line with the Tao then and so good at receiving, you know, so discerning about receiving I can essentially repel lino you know, rhinos and tigers, you know. I don't know you know, I can't attest to that level of the Tao. But um <coughs> how can I say? Certainly with um certainly with just ordinary boundaries, you know. As I often say, the insult that stings us is the insult that part of us believes, you know. And so if I have unhealthy beliefs about myself, if I'm holding that, then I have a place for insults to land, you know. And part of self-love is loving myself so deeply that there's no place for insults to land. You know, conversely, the compliment that most moves me is the compliment that part of me believes already, you know. It's actually a, a, a tremendous practice in life to receive compliments well, you know. The final quote from the Tao Te Ching the feminine always overcomes the masculine by softness. So at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. Let's see. There's the quote sheet. Has the quotes from the Tao Te Ching at the top. For some reason that I, some intuitive reason that I can't quite explain, I decided to pull it all of them right aligned on the page. The next quote is from the great, great medieval mystic Hildegard von Bingen, talking about the divine feminine. She is so bright and glorious that you cannot look at her face or her garments for the splendor with which she shines. For she is terrible with both the terror of avenging lightness and gentle with the goodness of the bright sun. Both her terror and her gentleness are incomprehensible to humans. But she is with everyone and in everyone. And so beautiful is her secret that no person can know the sweetness with which she sustains people and spares them in inscrutable mercy. Helen Luke, writing in the 20th century, said, Wisdom consists in doing the next thing that you have to do, doing it with your whole heart and finding delight in doing it. And that is the sense of the sacred. <coughs> she also said, If we can rediscover in ourselves the hidden beauty of this receptive devotion, if we can learn how to be still without inaction, how to further life without willed purpose, how to serve without demanding prestige, and how to nourish without domination, then we shall be women again out of whose earth the light may shine. Alice Howe said, what we are looking for on earth and in earth and in our lives is the process that can unlock for us the mystery of meaningfulness in our daily lives. 
It is the best kept secret down through the ages because it is so simple. Truly, the last place it would occur for us to find the sacred would be in the commonplace of our everyday lives and all about us in nature and in simple things. And Eleanor Gadden said, until women can visualize the sacred feminine, they cannot be whole and society cannot be whole. Marion Woodman said, when power comes from within us and we claim it as our own, then we no longer have to affirm ourselves by dominating others. The irony is that we're actually afraid of our own power. Sally Kempton said, this is a quote about Kali, who's the, the great devouring mother goddess, the fierce mother goddess of Hinduism. <coughs> Whether Kali seems terrifying, fascinating, or loving depends on our state of consciousness and our level of both emotional and spiritual development. But she always invites us to a radical form of ego transcendence. Llewellyn Vaughn Lee, the, the Sufi mystic, I've, I've heard him speak a couple times, he's wonderful. He said, the mystery of the divine feminine speaks to us from within her creation. She is not a distant God in heaven, but a presence that is here with us, needing our response. She is the divine returning to, to claim her creation, the real wonder of what it means to be alive. If we have forgotten her, just as we have forgotten so much of what is sacred, and yet she is always part of us. But now she needs us to be known again, not just as a myth, as a spiritual image, but as something that belongs to the blood and the breath. She can awaken us to an expectancy in the air, to an ancient memory coming alive in a new way. She can help give birth to the divine that is within us, to the oneness that is all around us. She can help us remember our real nature. And in a particularly evocative quote that, that in some ways resonates off the previous one, Lila Delia just said, she remembered who she was and the game changed. Anat von Lee said, <coughs> I believe unless we return to the remembrance of the realization that we are a soul, that the earth is a living being, that the rich soil which is the darkness that allows all things to grow, is sacred to the organic sense of life, to the fact that water is the source of life, and that we are also water, to this knowledge which is held naturally within the woman's body as sacred space, within the feminine feelings of our heart, of the heart, both in men and women. Until then, nothing can or will happen. Only then, when all feminine qualities will rise as a natural follow-up from sacred space and can be implemented in the outer world as service to humanity, as an agent of change in its consciousness, a reviting force of a new life. <coughs> Angela Fisher says, this consciousness gives women a unique role to play within creation. It allows us a natural access to the creative darkness from which all life emerges. We can access this darkness and work within its silence to guide life from the emptiness. We can live in two worlds, helping light to enter existence wherever, 
wherever it is needed, and we are attentive with great care to all that is born. John Mark Green says, She is a wild, tangled forest with temples and treasures concealed within. Ananda Karunesh says, A matriarchal world does not mean one that is matrilineal or that a queen shall rule the world. It simply means a world in which the mother's heart leads all social institutions, corporations, and governments. All human beings, men, women, or transgender, can embody the mother's heart if they so choose. We are all destined for extinction as human race unless a mother's heart assumes leadership of the world. Elizabeth Eiler said, Women have always cradled within their bodies the secret mystery of life, death, and rebirth, and the healing, grounding, and balancing powers of our mother in the earth. We have held these sacred mysteries within us as we would carry babies in our womb. And Elaine Seiler says, Mother energy is universal. It is the large expression of the sacred feminine that comes from spirit. It is embodied in all our biological mothers, but it's not limited or confined to them.